You're listening to Inward with Rabbi Joey Rosenfeld on the Shefa Podcast Network. Join Rabbi Joey as he guides us through the world and major works of Kabbalah, Hasidic masters, and Jewish philosophy, shedding light on the inner life of the soul. Okay, so tonight, Be'ezras Hashem, we're going to be continuing with our series of shirim on the world of Ishbitz and Radzin. And the title of tonight's shir is going to be Lack, Moving Beyond Wholeness. Now, as we ended off last week's shir in describing the basic reality that for the Mikubalim, as well as for the Rambam, and those who follow the path of the Rambam in terms of negative theological impulse that rests at the apex of Jewish thought or Jewish philosophical faithful exploration, that at the end, at the culmination of the journey towards knowledge, the individual, the seeker, the questioner, reaches the limit, reaches the limit point or the limit experience, wherein it becomes clear to them that the apex of knowledge is reaching a place of not knowing. Because no matter how far a person comes, along the ladder of spiritual development, no matter how lofty the intellectual speculation of godliness and the reality of God in the world, at the end of the day, the law that states that God's holiness, so to speak, is infinitely or even infinitesimally removed from human grasp, always dictates that we can never truly grasp the essence, so to speak, of what God is, or atzmusa yisbarach, that as human beings, as limited creatures, the closest that we can come to apprehending God in its essence, so to speak, is coming to the realization that we can never truly grasp God's essence. And that specifically by way of negation, by way of ayin, by way of recognizing the limitation of our own minds or our own capacity as creations, we come to affirm the reality of a creator that stands just beyond grasp. And the reason that I utilize the language of Rav Soloveitchik, that the infinite and the infinitesimal are almost synonymous with regards to what we're describing, is because the gap that exists between the apex of human knowledge and the presence of godliness in its essence doesn't have to be a large gap. It can just be the slightest gap that will always already be present. Meaning to say that no matter how high a person goes along the rungs of spiritual development, no matter how lofty they come in their grasp, they will always come to realize that in spite of the fact that, that they are convinced that they have reached the top, there will always remain a gap that moves along with the individual search so that an individual who is on the third rung of spiritual development will conceive the fourth rung of spiritual development as that which stands infinitely out of reach until they come upon the fourth rung of spiritual development, 
when they come to recognize that in truth it's the fifth rung of spiritual development that is infinitely out of reach and so on and so forth ad infinitum and there's no difference for the individual who has reached the millionth rung of spiritual development that there will always already be a stage beyond them that they cannot quite grasp yet and even when they attune themselves to that knowledge and they raise themselves and they develop the grasp or the conscious awareness of the rung that is above them they will come to realize that even there there is a rung that will always already be infinitely removed from them and that this negative theological impulse this impossibility of truly grasping or seizing or confining divinity in its essence to the demarcations of human understanding is really what protects the jewish concept of faith from the idolatrous impulse that reigns supreme in the minds of individuals. That the impulse towards idolatry at the end of the day is the desire to grasp something in its essence, is the desire to have something measurable, something known, something like we said in the name of the Meshiloach by Paro, that Paro stood upon his creator. That the idolatrous impulse is the desire for the creation to stand upon the creator so as to say that it has a shlita or a grasp of the creator. Or, like we said in the name of the Meshiloach when it comes to Matan Torah, that the desire to have a full exposure of godliness in one moment, where God, so to speak, empties himself out to the people, where there is nothing more that God can offer, that would be, Ani Hashem Elokecha, I am Hashem your God. But at the revelation of Sinai, the Meshiloach describes to us that in truth, it doesn't say ani. It doesn't say I without a chaf, as if God had emptied himself out, chas v'shalom, and offered everything that there is to be understood to the human being. But rather, it's anochi. It's a way of conveying I-ness that contains within it the chaf hadimyon, the imaginative impulse which reminds us that no matter how lofty we reach along the lines of spiritual development, at the end of the day, it's all but an imagination in relation to the true essence which always stands out of grasp. And like we said at the end of last week's shear, we were going to discuss this week why that is. What is it that ensures the psychological stance that no matter how far we have come in the rungs or the development of spiritual awareness or the quest towards perfecting ourselves or refining ourselves to a point of perfection as if we can reach a point where we can say we no longer have any work to do, what is it that protects the Jewish people from falling into that trap of that idolatrous impulse which desires so desperately to grab hold of essence, to grab hold of something as it exists in its fullness? What is it that pushes the human mind or the Jewish mind beyond that? What is it that consistently and constantly ensures that we will still not be satisfied even when we feel we've reached the apex and therefore we will be propelled to seek more and to constantly arise on the rungs of spirituality and self-development? And the answer is what we're going to discuss in this week's year. In this week's year, we're going to be discussing the concept of chisaron, the concept of lack, the concept of deficiency, of imperfection in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin. Now, parenthetically, we've already spoken in previous series of Shiram about this concept of lack, that there is an abiding lack within all human beings, 
not because we have not been good enough or worthy enough to reach fullness, but because in spite of all of our deserving and in spite of all of our efforts, fullness is a human impossibility. And that the lack is not a sign of a deficiency, but rather the lack is constitutive of the human spirit. That the lack is not a result of some failure or some mistake that we've encountered as a result of some primordial transgression or original sin chas v'shalom that has taken us from the realm of perfection into lack and that our job is to elevate ourselves from lack back to fullness. But rather, the Jewish perspective of lack as expressed in the writings of the Mekubalim and the Balei Hasidus and the Vilgon and his students and Rav Kuk whose yard site is tonight, and his students, is that lack is not some symptom of a failure or some result of the original transgression that the first man and the first woman brought upon the world, but rather lack and chisaron, or the abiding sense of imperfection that remains throughout history, is rooted in a place much higher than the chet of Adamarishon. In truth, it's rooted in the primordial desire of God, so to speak, to create the world. And that lack is not some accidental symptom, but rather lack is constitutive to the human experience. And without lack, without chisaron, without a perpetual deficiency that abides within human beings no matter what rung of human experience they have reached, the entire edifice of theological development or what it means to abide within Jewish faith or Razadeh Nusa would fall apart. And it's specifically in this conception of lack in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin that we're going to see the origins of what we discussed in the previous year on lack. In the series of The Inner Low World of Addiction, and I believe the fourth or the fifth shear, we titled the shear Lack or the, the Fullness of Lack. That lack itself reminds us that we need to always be desiring for something beyond ourselves. That the fact that we want more than what we have is not because we're dissatisfied with the world, but because the world cannot offer us what we're seeking. And then the lack becomes a symbol or a sign or a symptom that discloses the basic truth that our neshamos or our souls are rooted in a place much loftier than this world. And so the source text or the basic understanding and more of an explanation of that shear is going to be what we're discussing tonight as well. Now, more so than previous shirim, to discuss the concept of lack or chisaron in the writings of Ishbitz and Radzin demands tzimtzum in the sense that this is a sugya hakoleles that runs through not only the writings of the Meshiloach, but it also runs through the writings of the Beis Yaakov, and it runs through the multifarious writings of the Sod Yesharim, as well as the Teferis Yosef. So it's a theme that runs through the entire history of the Shalshelis of Ishbitz and Radzin. But not only that, it's ever-present in the Sugyos. That in each Mechaber, in each of the Tzadikim, there's a large emphasis placed on this conception of lack and the role that it plays in the development of the conception of what it means to be a human subject within a world that is trying to affirm a relationship with their creator. So for the sake of developing a theme or threading out or teasing out 
a development of the concept of chisaron, we're going to be mitzamsem ourselves and we're going to choose from particular makoros. And I believe this may be the first year, if I can keep myself in check as I'm speaking, where we're going to cover each of the doros, each of the generations of Ishbitz. We're going to look at the Meshiloach, we're going to look at a Ha'ara from the Beis Yaakov, we're going to look at an emphasis placed on the Sugya from the Sod Yisharim. And unlike any other shir, we're going to culminate or we're going to conclude with the teaching of the Teferis Yosef. Teferis Yosef is the child of the Sod Yisharim who in the inner traditions of Ishbitz and Radzin is referred to as the innermost point of Ishbitz, the Teferis, if you will the unifying point that collects all the different colors of the different admirim of the Meshiloach in his short, concise, powerful themes that are associated with the concept of Chachma, and the lengthy expressions of the Beis Yaakov, which are associated with the concept of Bina, and the Sod Yesharim, who unifies the different teachings of his grandfather, the Meshiloach, and his father, the Beis Yaakov, as the Das of Ishbitz and Radzin, the Tzfaris Yosef is going to bring together the entire sugya in a way that without this Tzfaris Yosef, we wouldn't have a full grasp of what these tzaddikim are trying to say when it comes to the question of lack or the question of chisarum. Now, parenthetically, throughout these shirim, I have been very conscious of not conjuring up the spirit of Rav Tzadok HaKohen Milublin through his writings. And the reason for that, as we discussed in the introductory shir, is that there's really two zramim, two streams of thought that one could attribute to the Meshiloach, which really just goes to show us how powerful of a thinker the Meshiloach was, or if Mordechai Yosef of Ishbitz was, in terms of the development of Hasidic theology or Kabbalistic thought as it manifests nowadays in the modern consciousness. Because for the Meshiloach, there was the familial transition of the teachings, where the Beis Yaakov, Rav Yaakov of Ishbitz, was the sole inheritor of his teachings. And then from there, he gave over the teachings to his son, the Sod Yisharim, and the Sod Yisharim gave over his teachings to Mordechai Yosef, um, to the, the teachings of the Tavaris Yosef. And there's another, another Zerim, which is non-familial in nature, which are the students, not the children, but the students of the Meshiloach. And those two students, as we understand them, are going to be Rav Tzadok HaKohen Melablin, Shusi Yaganalenu, and Rav Leibel Eger, Shusi Yaganalenu, the grandchild of Rav Yekiv Eger, Shusi Yaganalenu. And these two Zramim, these two streams of Ishbitz manifesting, are significant in the sense that they represent different iterations. And throughout the series of Shirim, we've been able to parse, or, or rather not parse, but keep separate the familial dynasty, which we've been focusing on primarily, and not attending or not looking at the teachings of Rav Tzadok HaKohen Melablin or of Lebla Eger, which is a difficult task because Rav Tzadok HaKohen Melablin's corpus, Rav Tzadok HaKohen Melablin's writings, have not only become the bedrock or foundation for a modern consciousness of what Hasidic interpretation of Jewish theology is coming to say, but Rav Tzadok HaKohen Melablin is almost this transitional or liminal figure who has come to the world of Hasidus from a world of Misnagdus, because Rav Tzadok HaKohen Melablin was not a Hasid prior to his encounter with the Meshiloach. In fact, he was a Misnagid, 
who most of his earlier writings can be seen as an attempt to interpret, or at least what we know of his earlier writings in the Shavos and Shuvos, are an attempt to interpret the teachings of the Nefshachayim in terms of the imminency or the transcendence of godliness, which is for another time. And then through his own Gilgulim, the own iterations of Rav Tzedek life, through an attempt to find the Heter Meir and developing relationships with Sadiqim across the land, he comes to find Rav Mordechai Yosef of Ishbitz and he decides, much like the students of Rav Kook, whose yard site is tonight, when they met Rav Kook, immediately it took almost less than a moment for them to decide that I have found my Rebbe. It was an Ashama connection. And so Rav Sadaka Koin Milublin was not only in the world of Hasidus, but because of his rooting in the world of Misnagdic spirituality, he was also capable of bridging the world of Hasidus and Misnagdic thought after his death. Because what we find in so much of what is known as Lithuanian Kabbalah, or Misnagdic interpretations of Kabbalah, what has been known as Olam HaMachshava, as the thought of Machshava, and they root themselves in the Maharal and, and the Pachad Yitzchak. And Rav Moshe Shapiro's Chusayim Galenu was one of the major proprietors of this Mahalach. And Rav Moshe Shapiro, is it's abundantly clear that most of what he's writing is rooted in the writings of Rav Sadok. Most of what he's describing in all of his Talmidim as well are yonik, draw from the writings of Rav Sadok in a way that is nearly unprecedented. So Rav Sadok played this liminal role in moving from Misnagdus to Hasidus, and then eventually, historically speaking, post facto, has enabled Hasidus to enter into the worlds of Misnagdic thought or the Olam HaMachshava and allow for Hasidic teachings that are rooted really in the teachings of the Meshiloach to become what is known as the Olam HaMachshava. Olam HaMachshava is going to be Rav Dessler, it's going to be Rav Friedlander, it's going to be Rav Huttner, it's going to be the Rosh Yeshiva of David Kohn is a paradigm of this nowadays, the Rosh Yeshiva of Hebron. Rav Moshe Shapiro, though, was really the biggest exemplar of this. So it's really difficult not to go to the teachings of Rav Sadok, but in this year in particular, it's more difficult. Because for Rav Sadok HaKohen Meleblin, the concept of Chisaron, the concept of lack, is one of the foundational or fundamental sugyos throughout his writings in terms of the distinction between the fullness that we associate with Torah learning and the deficiency that we associate with the prayer experience or the inherent deficiency that abides within the human being as well as in the ontological reality of the worlds of Asiya, Yitzira, and Bria. Nevertheless, we're going to make an effort, and I've clearly already failed in that effort because I just spent 10 minutes talking about Rav Tzadok, but we're going to make an effort in this week's shir to move away from Rav Sadok's teachings on Chisaron in the hopes that we will have a future point where we can share those teachings. We're going to focus on the familial descendants of the Meshiloach and his description of the world of Chisaron. Now, we're going to start off with the basic understanding of the Meshiloach's teachings about Chisaron. And then we're going to look at different teachings as it develops in the system of Ishbitz and Razin that really allow us to find the specific chiddush, the specific novelty that the Meshiloach and his children are trying to convey when it comes to the sugya of Chisaron. Because 
to claim that chisaron, to claim that lack, to claim that deficiency, imperfection is a fundamental role in the spiritual experience of Judaism, at least, is not such a chiddush. Already when you look at the Maharal, and way before the Maharal, when you look at Chazal, you already see that human beings are deficient. That Moshe Rabbeinu we see, the closest to perfection that we can conceive in our minds, is this individual who is said to have received the 50 gates of understanding. That Moshe Rabbeinu was given nun shari bina chasar achas. That Moshe Rabbeinu, Hashem conveyed to Moshe the 50 modes of understanding, yet he only received 49. And this is something we're going to come back to. But even Moshe Rabbeinu, even the paradigm of perfection, is shown to be deficient. And the Meshiloach has an emphasis on this as well, that the letter Shin, which is the middle letter of Moshe Rabbeinu, is the second to last letter in the Aleph Beis. Almost as if to show that Moshe Rabbeinu, the most perfect of human beings, was still only capable at coming to the second to last letter. That he couldn't fully arrive at the last letter. As if to teach us that no matter how far along the rung of human effort an individual has come, at the end of the day, they can still only come closest to the end, but they can never truly reach the culmination. So even Moshe Rabbeinu, in our tradition, is lacking. It's chasar achas, something that we're going to come back to. And this chisaron that we typically understand from the writings of Chazal and from the writings of the Rishonim and the philosophers of Judaism, the generation of the Rashba and Rabbi Yudah Levi and the Rambam, this chisaron is seen as a psychological deficiency, one that is the result of an imperfection, the result of some primordial transgression which has poisoned or polluted what human beings are capable of experiencing. And therefore, all lack is determined because of mistakes. And therefore, lack becomes something that a human being is meant to overcome. And that eventually the messianic period, according to these interpreters, is seen as a time where lack is overcome and it's no longer present in an individual's life. As if perfection were a possibility. And it's very easy to look at the writings of the Meshiloach and his students and see his treatment of Chisaron as a reiteration of this theme. As the general theme that human beings are imperfect and because of our imperfection we have to suffer. And because of our suffering, we need to try and refine ourselves. And through trying to refine ourselves, we run the hope of actually developing some ethical or moral perspective in the world. And all of this is seen as some deferred state of human experience prior to the eschatological emergence of the rectification of the world. And only then will we come to a place of perfection so that all of human experience is deferred and, and seen as some secondary negation or negative space of human lack, which stands under human perfection, which is a possibility. It's all too easy to see the Meshiloach in this theme. The Meshiloach even expresses it more than anybody else. He says that there's a chisaron betolda. He says that there's a natural inherent lack that all human beings are born from, vis-a-vis -vis the relationship of their parents. The necessity of human relationship, the fact that a human being is imperfect in their lonesome self and needs the company or needs the solace towards their existential loneliness of another person, that interrelationship that gives birth to a human being is already the root of lack. But lack is still seen as some secondary symptom. 
And the Meshiloach explains this in countless places. One place that we're going to look is going to be in Chelek Rishon, where the Meshiloach says as follows. He says, Vayomer el ha'isha af ki amar elokim. Now this is going to be on page Tesvav, on the 15th page in the Meshiloach, in Chelek Aleph. And he says, Tairus Hashem Tamima Meshivas Nafesh. Pasuk in Tehillim says, the Torah of God is perfect. It restores the soul of an individual. Again, restoration, the need to be restored, the need, the need for tikkun, implies already that a person is lacking. Implies already that a person is lacking. Torah Hashem Tamima Meshivas Nafesh. Hainu, that means, says the Meshiloach, Ke'en Hashem Saveda. It's as if Hashem is returning something that the individual has lost, that we abided in an original form of perfection, we lost that perfection, and now Hashem is teaching us how to come back to perfection. Because the Torah is given to the Jewish people for the sake of rectifying and filling the lack that they experience from the point of their birth. Here is the point where we're looking at the Meshiloach and we're seeing that for the Meshiloach, Lack can be understood in the old model, which states that lack is imperfection that needs to be filled, as if perfection is a possibility. And therefore, any exposure to lack, any abiding within lack, is going to be seen as living within a secondary stage of gullus, of exile, as if it's a stage that needs to be gotten rid of for the sake of perfection. And this is explicit throughout the writings of the Meshiloach. He writes this very explicitly when it comes to the teachings of the Meshiloach about Irhani Dachas and about Are Miklat, the individual who kills accidentally because the accidental actions that we engage in are disclosive of the essential lack that we have within ourselves. But the common denominator is that that thread within the writings of the Meshiloach and his children the Beis Yaakov, the Sodi Sharman, the Tzfaris Yosef, imply this old model of chisaron, as if chisaron is something that can be gotten over, and it's almost like this negative stage that a person needs to remove themselves from. What this means practically for us is that if we allow ourselves to be overtaken by the typical teachings of chisaron and lack as it applies to Jewish experience, so then whenever we find ourselves in exile, Whenever we find ourselves lacking, whenever we find ourselves lost or forlorn or struggling or anxious or bothered or uncomfortable or human, then it's all too easy for us to see ourselves as experiencing life in a secondary negative way, as a bidyeved, as something that is not perfect, as something that is negative and needs to be gotten rid of. I believe very deeply, and without euphemism, I think I can say that this is what I've been trying to teach from the beginning of the Rav Kukshirim, that deficiency and lack and the desire and the yearning and the wanting that emerges out of that lack is not indicative is not symptomatic of the fact that as human beings were flawed or were imperfect because of some failure, but rather it points towards a new direction in understanding our role as God's creatures 
in that lack is constitutive of our experience. Lack is something that gives birth to human ability, that it's specifically in the fact that we're other than God. It's specifically in our imperfections. It's specifically in the struggles that we go through, in the anxieties that we face, that we can find our closest relationship with godliness. As the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh tells us, that it's specifically in a makom of Hester, or a doubled Hester, a concealment of concealment, that a person has the capacity of recognizing that there's no such thing as concealment. That lack itself, deficiency itself, is not something that must be overcome, but it's something that must be inculcated and must be included and brought into the realm of Kedusha so that Kedusha can now experience the benefits of lack itself. And this, I believe, is something that comes out as we look at the teachings of the Ishbitzer and the Radziner Tzadikim as they describe for us the full expression of this concept of lack. Now, the first Makor I want to look at is a very short statement, or the second Makor, really, because really until the Shabbos, almost, I wasn't sure, I, I was convinced that this is the way to learn the Sugya of Chisaron, but I wasn't sure textually how I could claim that it was true. Because it's very easy to look at the writings of the Meshiloach and the Ishbitzer Radziner Tzadikim and look at lack as some secondary accidental symptom that needs to be overcome and not as some essential constitutive element of human experience that allows for us to have a relationship with God. And one of the problems with that is because if we look at the birthplace of Chisaron, if you look at the emergence of lack as the chait of Adam Harishon, something that our cousins in the theory of original sin, Lahavdil Elif Avdalo, seem to emphasize, is that it's this post-lapsarian experience of Adam and Chava after the chait that has brought lack into the world. And when we look at lack from that perspective, it's very difficult because then we can honestly think that maybe lack is accidental. Maybe chisaron is not something essential. Maybe it's just accidental as the result of a chait, as a result of a chisaron. And maybe there's an ability to live in a world where we feel perfect if we can redeem ourselves. So what I found in the Beis Yaakov, in Parshas Bereshis, in the third teaching on Bereshis, is something that really settled my mind in, in the way that I'm describing lack and chisaron. That lack and chisaron represent the ideal state of human beings. That no matter how high we come, no matter how lofty we arrive, no matter whether we're in Yerushalayim or not, we're still davening that l'shana habab Yerushalayim. That no matter how close we've come to Jerusalem, we're still davening for HaKadosh Baruch Hu to bring us to Jerusalem. Because even when we're in Jerusalem, we recognize that we haven't truly arrived at Jerusalem. Because an individual who feels that they're truly alive is dead. An individual who feels that there's no longer any space for them to develop or cultivate themselves has nothing to live for. And I found Masha Ahavanafshi in the writings of the Beis Yaakov, in Parshas Bereshis, in the third teaching of Bereshis, the Beis Yaakov writes as follows. This is the reason that the Torah began in Masa Bereshis with the creation of the world. In spite of the fact that the main role of the human being is to fix themselves, is to perfect themselves. So the question is, if the main problem of humanity emerged in the Chet of Adam HaRishon, 
and our main purpose is to rectify that sin and fix it that is resultant from Adam Rishon. So then why doesn't the Torah start with the sixth day of creation describing the chet of Adam Rishon? Why describe this preliminary statement of Maisa Bereshis? What role does Maisa Bereshis play in the conception of what human subjectivity and human avoda means? says the Beis Yaakov. If the lack emerges with the Adam, if the first place of avoda, the first place of trying to fill a deficiency or a lack, starts with the human error of that moment of that transgression of Adam and Chava, then why not start the Torah there? The Beis Yaakov says, this is specifically why the Torah started with the creation of the world. The creation of the world represents the ontological reality of the world prior to any psychological interpretation of it. The pnimiyas ha'olamos, the inner essence of the worlds before any human being occupied it, as if to state that this concept that the Torah is coming to describe precedes any human engagement. It precedes the question of Adam and Chava. It precedes the question of human fallibility. For this reason, the Torah started with that it's incumbent upon the individual to find and rectify even that which took place prior to the emergence of the human being. Meaning to say that lack exists prior to the emergence of human being. That deficiency and lack and imperfection are not some symptom of human failure or fallibility but rather it is the ontological condition of being in this world, something that the Lesham Shavuah Vachaloma expresses more than any other Makobo prior to him, other than the Svartik Mikubalim of the Rashash and his students, in particular the Ba'asi Lagani and his Perushan Rechava Sanar, something that I hope in the future to be able to give shir on. That what the Beis Yaakov is saying is that lack doesn't start with the human being, but rather the way that HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world is by way of lack, is by way of brokenness. Show us that it's incumbent on us to try and root ourselves back to a place prior to the creation of man. It's not enough for an individual to fix and rectify only from the point of our existence and forward, as if brokenness and lack was a human symptom. But from the moment of creation, from the moment of inception, where things were still perfect, Hashem allowed for there to be room for lack. In truth, the entirety of creation is the lack of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It's the Kayach HaGvul that we've been discussing since the beginning in the name of Rabbeinu Azriel of Gerona, that the Nazir HaKadosh said that Rav Kook saw this as the apex of his system, that it's specifically the imperfection of reality that allows for human experience. That it's not enough, says the Beis Yaakov, to fix what human beings have failed in, but rather a human being must fix the lack or learn to face the lack that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has placed in the world at the beginning, at the inception of creation. Which means to say that lack is not some accidental symptom of human experience as if some original sin, chas v'shalom or lahavdil, elif avdalos, is the result of our need to fix things. But rather, 
Kadsalik alma, when it emerged in the infinite will or desire of godliness to create the world, it was with an awareness that there would be lack, that there was always lack. Even in Ganeidin there was lack, because without lack, there's no humanity, there's no human experience. And it's specifically here that the Meshiloach's novelty or chiddush about the concept of chisaron as it applies to human experience, it takes on full you. Now we saw in the first volume of the Meshiloach an interpretation of Tairos Hashem Tamima Meshivas Nafesh, that the Torah of God is perfect because it restores the soul, that it comes to fix the lack that abides within an individual prior to their existence. Basically, which means to say that everything we see in the Torah as individuals, everything that we see in the Torah as human beings, as a particular subject, which we're going to discuss in future shirim, especially with regards to the Sodi Sharm's emphasis on Tcheles, is that our role is to fix our own particular lack that happens because of our rootedness in Adam HaRishon. As if all of our lack is rooted in human fallibility, in the originary human transgression. But what we're going to see in the second volume of the Meshilawach is a different teaching on this Pasuk. And this is going to be in Tehillim, in the second volume of Meshilawach, Osiyud Tes, the 19th teaching. And this is where the Meshilawach begins to finally allow us into his radical novel teaching of what it means to be a Balchi Sarum what it means to abide and live with that essential constitutive lack, which doesn't disrupt our subjectivity, but rather forms our subjectivity. Torah Hashem Tamima Meshivas Nafesh. The Meshiloach says as follows. That the Torah comes and it fills the lack. It fills the chisaron of an individual. And the desire and the yearning and that painful wish that there was something in this world that was present that is not present right now, the Torah comes to fix that. Because one who recognizes their chisaron, one who is willing to be mitmoded, is willing to face unflinchingly the basic reality that they are creatures of lack, that we will always already desire more than what this world has to offer, it is that individual who God, so to speak, comes and fills. Not that the lack is filled so that the lack disappears, but rather the recognition of the lack itself is the fullness of what it means to be a human being. That there is a fullness of lack that in my encounter with my inherent and constitutive deficiency of what it means to be a creature that is other than God is to come and recognize that I am lacking. I lack, therefore I am, like we said in the sheer, in the inner world of addiction, the fullness of lack. And here the Meshiloach becomes more and more explicit for us, what we're trying to understand. As it is written in the Zohar, in Parshas Emor, Daftzadi Amad Beis, which is going to be the third volume, Daftzadi Amad Beis, Kudsha Barichu Lo Shari Ela Be'eser Tabira, Bimana Tabira, that God does not abide and God does not rest 
except in places of broken vessels, an individual who sees themselves as broken. Dikhsid, as it is written, the esdacha veshafal ruach. Like the Pasuk in Yeshaya says, specifically the lowly and broken of spirit have a relationship with God. Shemi shemakir chasrono, that the individual who recognizes their lack. And here, the way I want to read makir or recognition is not that they recognize that I lack as some accidental symptom of a failure, but rather I am willing to look at myself and recognize that perfection is an impossibility. And the sooner that I come to accept that fact, the closer I come to perfection, because it's specifically in the recognition and the awareness and the acceptance of an inherent and constitutive imperfection that I come closest to perfection. Because it's only in my recognition of being a creature that can never truly reach the status of a creator that allows me to serve God in a way that is perfect. Specifically in accepting my lack, can I become a servant of God? Shami shemakir chasrono, because an individual who recognizes and pays attention to their lack, meir lo Hashem yisparach lahashim chasrono, God, so to speak, enlightens that individual to fill that lack, and the fullness of that lack is specifically in the recognition of the lack. Kamosha kasuv, like the pasuk says, karuv Hashem lenishbere lev, God is close to the brokenhearted. The and those of destitute spirit shall be salvaged. That salvation comes specifically to those individuals who find themselves most distant from God. That specifically in our willingness and our recognition of our constitutive imperfections, can we come closest to God? Can we become a servant of God? Can we become a vessel? that is capable of disclosing the true light of perfection, which is the light of godliness. That we, so to speak, are the imperfect vessels that are capable of disclosing the perfect light that HaKadosh Baruch Hu allows to flow into this world. And it's difficult for me at this point, for the sake of honesty, because it's Rav Kook's yard site, to not go on a tangent about the teachings of Rav Kook in this sugya. But this was the animating theme of the Shirim on Reshmi Lin that it's specifically the imperfection of reality that allows for godliness, so to speak, to fully emerge. Because prior to the creation of the world, God was fully perfect in all modes of perfection. Yet all, the mo- all modes of perfection prevent us from conceiving the concept of lack by God. So therefore God, so to speak, had to create a world that was imperfect to show that even the infinite can manifest infinitude and even the perfect can manifest in lack. Because then, at the end of the process, lack and finitude is shown to be disclosive of the infinite and perfection as well. So that the infinite can not only manifest in spaces of infinitude, but rather even in places of finitude. And that the perfect can not only manifest in places of perfection, but rather in places of imperfection as well. Now, for the Sodya Sharim, this becomes deeply fundamental in terms of what it means to be a religious subject, what it means to attempt to be an individual in this world who attempts to cleave to God. Because for the, the Saudi Sharim, there's a fundamental distinction between Torah learning and tefillah, like we already hinted to in the name of Rav Sadok, that Torah is rooted in the concept of fullness, that the more I know, 
the more full I feel about myself, the more I feel I have a conception of what is true and what is not true. But tefillah, to pray, to daven to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, to abide within the ontological space of chaye sha'a, of temporary life, that means that I am willing to recognize that I am lacking. It is that lack that allows me to seek out something that is perfect. Without lack, without the acknowledgement of imperfection, tefillah is impossible. Now this is already rooted in the teachings of the Maharal in the Sivha Avoda, that the Maharal, when questioning the philosophical reality of tefillah, basically states that one of the fundamental purposes of prayer, or speech, or dialogue, is because the creation, or the alul, or the dependent being, needs to recognize always the fact that we are dependent and that we are imperfect. And that prayer and tefillah comes from the brokenness of the self. That the more broken I feel, the more I'm capable of prayer. Because prayer is the recognition that I have imperfect and I'm seeking out solace from something that is perfect beyond me. Tefillah li'ani kiyatov. The Zohar Kadosh says that there is no loftier prayer than the impoverished prayer. Because the more we acknowledge our imperfections, the more we acknowledge our limitations, the closer we come to serving HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That it is the lack, the recognition of lack, and that desire that emerges out of that basic awareness and that basic association with the core of ourselves to the point that our entire existence, every step that we take, every word that we say, every movement that we make, every gesture, whether conscious or unconscious, is once again simply a statement that says, I am imperfect and I seek the perfection that God has. I seek solace from that perfection. Like Rav Kuk said, Tefillah HaMesameda Shel HaNeshama, the perpetual prayer of the Neshama. And Rav, and Rav Mordechai Yosef of Ishbitz describes this beautifully as well in the first Chelik of Meshiloach in terms of the neshama that is davening three times a day to remind ourselves that really in truth we should be davening all the time. That tefillah is rooted in the acknowledgement of lack. And the Sodi Sharm continues and he tells us something incredible. And this is a safer that I didn't even think to include in the series of shirim that we've been giving. But Bahashkacha, I was able to find the safer over Shabbos actually at my in-law's house, something that I haven't looked at since Lel HaSeder. And I decided to look and see if I could find anything for this week's shear. And I found not only a makor that we can use, but a makor that ties the entire concept together. And this is from Sefer Azmanim, the Haggadah Shal Pesach, of the teachings of the Beis Yaakov that his son, the Sodi Sharm, compiled around the Haggadah. And in the teachings of Maror, and I have a very good friend, a very good friend who, who once claimed to me that I'm a Maror fresser. And anybody who's listening to the shirim that I've been giving since the beginning of Rav Kook can be considered, and it's reasonable to assume that I like tasting maror, that I like chewing on maror, I like focusing on the bitter, I like focusing on the broken aspects of this world, I like focusing on the exilic nature of what it means to be a Jew. And it's a musr, to shtarka musr, to not chas v'shalom be a maror fresser. Like Rabbi Nachman tells us in his teaching of Leil HaSeder, that the Ani who came to the Seder and only got to eat the Maror, 
leave suffering and, and disheartened and angry, wondering what is good in this world. But his friend, the Jew, comes along to him and he says, you fool, you didn't wait long enough to see what they bring after the murderer. So it's very important, and this is a lesson that I've learned from my very good friend, is that you eat the murderer, you taste the murderer, you chew the murderer, you're mismoded with the murderer, you face the murderer, but the murderer is a, is a vehicle to bring us towards a loftier space, a space wherein the murderer allows for a deeper connection to God. And this is the teaching that I found explicit in the writings of the Beis Yaakov on Seder Asmanim and the Seder HaHagadah, this is going to be on the 98th page in the, new, in the new printing, and it says as follows. The Gemara tells us in Psachim Das Kuftes Zayin Amaralif, Matchil Begnus Beshvach. We begin with destitution, we begin with lack, we begin with darkness, we begin with Gavura, we begin with suffering, we begin with the sense that God is not present in the world, we begin with the fact that the Jewish people have suffered historically. We begin with anxiety. We begin with low self-esteem. We begin with failure. And only then can we come upon fullness. Only then can we come upon light. Only then can we come upon the truth that godliness abides within this world in a way that annihilates all being. That no matter what brokenness had arranged in history, life is always perpetually emerging towards a higher place, towards a higher plane and the Mashiach Saitan, and that God is, is emerging into the world, and that goodness is always present. First, we have to start with the broken, then we come to find the fixed. First, we have to start with darkness, then we come to find light. Shekol Tova, says the Beis Yaakov, Adam, that any goodness that a person experiences, tsarech lizkor hachisaron shalatova. A person first and foremost has to remember recall the absence, the lack, the deficiency of that goodness. Because when we're aware of lack, when we're capable of paying attention to lack, that gives us the ability to benefit from the light that emerges afterwards in a way that is, in, that is unidentifiable to an individual who has never experienced lack. Therefore, the mitzvah of teaching your children on the night of the Seder is sheyizkor tamid ha'avdus, is for a person to always remember servitude and slavery and brokenness and lack. Shazen noten tam Because this allows us to benefit from cheiris even more. This goes back directly to the teaching of Rabbeinu Azriel, that if we want to truly understand the greatness of godliness and his infinitude, we have to always remember the concept of finite reality because it's only when we're able to recognize God's infinitude within finite reality that infinitude actually begins to be something that's meaningful to us. And here this, the, the Beis Yaakov echoes a teaching of the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh showing the deep rootedness that this Beis Medrash has in the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh. Shatainug Tamidi Enotainug Perpetual unblocked, uninterrupted pleasure is not pleasurable. If a person were to experience everything in a positive light, that positivity would very quickly descend into boredom, descend into things that are broken and unfeeling. And therefore a person must always remember 
Shachisaron atzmo inotov, that lack in and of itself is not good. And here, I, I couldn't make up these words if the Beis Yaakov didn't write them. That the memory of lack, the awareness of lack, allows us to have a deeper taste of fullness. That without the perpetual lack that abides at the core of ourselves, that allows for the neshama to be tamid mit palelas, that allows for our neshama to always perpetually be seeking something beyond itself, always perpetually seeking a fullness that is not capable of this worldliness, it's only there that we encounter the experience of fullness. That fullness without lack, to be a human being without chisaron is meaningless. It's specifically in the chisaron that the Ishbitzer and the tzaddikim of Ishbitz and Radzin teach us that we are capable of tasting fullness, that we are capable of understanding what it means to have a relationship with God. This, in my opinion, the, the Meshiloach learned in the base Medrash of Kotsk. He learned in the base Medrash of Rav Simcha Bunim. There's a teaching that's attributed both to Rav Simcha Bunim of Pshista as well as to Rav Menachem Mendel of Kotsk, that when we look at the Nachash, when we look at the Klala, the curse of the Nachash, after seducing Chava to partake in that primordial transgression, which arranged for history to be what it is, one of the punishments of the Nachash is Nafash Afar Lachmo, that the Nachash's food, his sustenance, will come from the dust. And the Kutzker and the Simcha Bunim, depending on who you attribute it to, both are deeply significant and edifying in the teachings of the Meishiloach, because both were his true Rebbeim. They question, what, what, what's the punishment here? His food is everywhere. His food is ever-present. The dust is everywhere. He doesn't have to daven. He doesn't have to work. The Nachash gets to eat whatever it wants. And the tzaddikim of Kotzk and the tzaddikim of Pshischa say that the klala here, the klala of the Nachash, is the fact that it lacks lack. Nafash afar lachmo means that your food is everywhere. Your sustenance is ever-present, which means that you don't desire anything. You have no ability to desire. There's no lack. There's a lack of lack. There's a deficiency of deficiency. That somebody who is not lacking anything is inhuman. It's not the reality of being alive in this world. A person must lack in order to encounter godliness. And therefore, the concept of lack, the concept of chisaron, becomes an abiding reality in the base medrash of Ishbitz and Radzin, in the world of Ishbitz and Radzin, which allows for this continuous worship of God this continuous desire and unending work to clarify what it means to serve God, something that we're going to be discussing next week, Bezros Hashem. And to end tonight, I want to focus on a teaching from the Tiferes Yosef, like we said we would. In Tiferes Yosef, in Mesechas Chagiga, the Sefer is arranged around the writings of Chazal and the Mesechtos, and I'm going to paraphrase for the sake of time because it's a lengthy teaching. But Tiferes Yosef basically states that the main way that a human being encounters knowledge in this world, the main way that a human being encounters divrei Torah, something that we're going to focus next week's shir on, this concept of divrei Torah, what it means to encounter words of Torah, that for the Ishbitzer Tzadikim, the entirety of the world is the Torah. 
And any encounter that we have, any experience that we have is an opportunity to find Chidushe Torah within the world, to write new Divrei Torah. But the, the, the Tzfarish Yosef says that our only role in developing Divrei Torah is to be a Kli Kibul, is to be a receptacle. And without a Hakara Sachisar, and without an abiding awareness and a Hismodudus and a willingness to confront our lack, there can be no Divrei Torah. And the Tzfarish Yosef says explicitly what happens when we hear new words of Torah. We feel that for a moment our lack is satisfied. We feel for a moment that we're whole again. And then says the Tzfarish Yosef that the role of Torah is to remind us that we're still lacking and that we're still just receptacles in order to draw down more words of Torah, more Chidushe Torah, that no matter how high we go along the rungs of wholeness, the deepest level of wholeness and his abiding awareness that we still reach only lack. And then that lack gives birth to more wholeness. And then that wholeness gives birth to a new recognition of lack, so on and so forth, ad infinitum, to the point that God, so to speak, allows for human beings to encounter a space where we're no longer aware of our lack or fullness. That's a time beyond time. That's a space beyond space. That's something that we can never truly speak about and certainly not something that I'm going to attempt to give shirim on. But for our purposes, what we see throughout the generations of Ishbitz and Radzin Sadikim is that lack is not some accident, but rather lack is what allows us to be human beings. It's what allows for Hishtokukus. It's what allows for that deep, undying desire of the soul for something that this world cannot offer. It's the source of the dissatisfaction of the soul, like we discussed last week. Next week, Be'ezra Sashem, we're going to discuss how this manifests in the question of Divrei Torah and how Torah is deeply connected with the experience of suffering, a suffering that emerges out of lack, and how the suffering for Torah becomes a unique Torah of suffering that only the human being in their own deep subjectivity is capable of disclosing. This podcast is supported in part from a grant from the Hadar Institute. The music is by Zusha. The audio engineer is David Kwan. For more from the Shefa Podcast Network, visit our Facebook page, and please subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.